Welcome to Cypherspeak, Artifacts, Ciphers, and Podities. My co-host today is Darcy, an enthusiastic game ambassador who mutates mollusks. And my co-host is Troy, an improvising game master who plays to find the end of the story. And this is Cypherspeak. Today, we're going to be doing an intro of the Numenera setting. That's the thing that started us on the Cypher system. So we wanted to do an in-depth episode and talk about some of the things that we love about the Numenera setting. To give an intro to that, the Numenera setting is set a billion years in the future. Wait, did you just say a billion? I said a billion. Oh my gosh, that's so long. With a B. (laughs) I know, it's so long. I mean, I'll probably be alive then because I'm never going to die, but everybody else, (laughs) you're out of luck. Mm -hmm. But science tells us that the Earth probably shouldn't be around in a billion years, but it is. So we don't really know how that happened. Something happened in one of the previous eight great civilizations and kept the Earth around. So thanks for that. Those people that are living and and playing in the ninth world, uh, I'm sure that they appreciate it. And bridging on that, Numenera is set in the ninth world. It is the ninth civilization to have inhabited the earth, and eight great civilizations have come before it. We don't really know much about those civilizations, but they left a lot of stuff behind. So there are nanites all over the world. There are all kinds of ruins and things that have been left behind by them. And some of them were human, some probably weren't, but they're all gone that's what has left the earth the way it is. And now the ninth civilization is on the rise. So you play denizens of the ninth world. You know, you're living in basically the the trash yard of these eight great civilizations, right? It's fabulous trash. Great technology was left behind by these people. And you're all playing humans mysteriously reappeared onto earth. And you're just trying to like get by in this world that's kind of overrun by mad nanites, you know, these tiny robots that are manipulating matter. And maybe you have some abilities that let you tap into those nanites, move them around. And so it feels like you're doing spells. It really feels like your characters are using and interfacing with magic. Although really, it's all technology that's just so advanced, you can't distinguish it from magic, like that Arthur C. Clarke quote. So the kinds of magic or technology that you're interacting with, they're kind of all under this category called Numenera. So, you know, a piece of Numenera might be like a giant floating obelisk over a huge valley, and it's impossibly big, but it's just floating there in space for no reason. That's a piece of Numenera. Um, a tiny golden beetle that you found that sings in a strange language, that's Numenera. If your character rips out a power supply attached to a bit of tech and fuses it with some other bit of tech, and you have a bomb now now, that's Numenera. So they're sort of the cobbled together bits of Numenera. Some of them are very unstable, and so they're one-shots. So they mechanically get represented as from lowest level of usability to highest. There are oddities, which are little things like the golden beetle example. It's just a little guy, doesn't do a lot, but it's interesting and has some kind of weird little goofy function. Then there are ciphers, which are usually one-shot use. So like the, the power supply attached to a bit of tech, and you make it made it a bomb, that's a cipher. 
you know, as you go further up, there are things like artifacts, which might actually be intact enough to kind of use over and over again. You might even be using it for its intended use, crazily enough. Probably not. Probably not. But you can use it over and over again. So that's great. And then there's bigger things even than artifacts like discoveries. So that would be like, you know, a whole temple or possibly like a science lab, but maybe you interpret it as a temple. That could be like a big discovery or maybe the obelisk you'd consider a big discovery. So that's kind of how Numenera talks about the different levels of tech that are around. And your characters get to interact with it in all in fascinating ways. I think one of the interesting bits about Numenera is making sure you're using language that helps support the fact that you are in this really different version of Earth. Like you don't want it to just feel like regular old fantasy or regular old Earth. You know, you really want to turn up that that weirdness level and the specialness and the uniqueness of this setting. And one way it does that is by using really specific language. So we're going to talk about a couple examples of fun terminology you get to use in Numenera to support this interesting setting. So the first one I wanted to talk about is drit. Basically, the whole world is not really covered in soil necessarily. It's covered in drit. Drit is like the weathering of all of this tech that's been around into a fine dust, basically. So there's organic and inorganic components. Basically, like your big space station broke above Earth and it fell down and there are all these bits, right? And so it's all getting weathered away. And so when you look around, you don't see soil, you see drit. It's helpful to like use that word because it's freaking everywhere and it helps remind you that you're not just on Earth. Yep, just walking on trash. That's all we're doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the first one that I wanted to cover is synth. Uh, synth is basically a plastic type material, but made flexible. You know, it's definitely not metal. But again, if you say plastic, everybody knows, oh, I know what plastic is. But yeah. if you say synth, then you can give it colors or textures and it definitely keeps that difference out there so that it's not just like, oh, that's this thing. It's like, no, it's synth. So it's definitely something a little different that you're not used to seeing in our world. It gives you a visual, but it's not a one-for-one -one match. Right. It's also important to change your words up from not just Earth-specific words, but sci-fi tropes. You don't want people thinking too much along other sci-fi worlds either because it's different from Star Trek or something. So instead of artificial intelligences or something, they often use the word automaton. It just gives it a different kind of archaic-ish feel for using any machine intelligence. You don't want people just to think, oh, the AI we have around today or the AI we have in a common sci-fi movie. Right. And along those same lines, instead of a gun, you have a slug thrower. It's basically any sort of weapon that fires a projectile at high speed you know, it's throwing a slug, you know, so. Unless it's my game, in which case you're literally throwing slugs. Well, you know, uh. every once in a while, maybe. You, you got to use whatever ammunition you can. <laughs> Perfect. Another kind of weapon-based example is instead of laser beam or laser weapons, they use ray emitter, which I just realized would work fine for like a blaster or also like a lightsaber might be a ray emitter. You know, you could re represent it different ways. Yeah, totally. And then the last one is sometimes you just repurpose old root words that are in our language. Uh, and a good example of that is chirurgeon. You can all tweet in how terribly I pronounce that. Um, <laughs> that word is basically the root of surgeon and where surgeon comes from in our language. But if you call those healers in the ninth world by that, it definitely gives them a little bit more of a, a archaic feel rather than just calling them a doctor or a medic or whatnot. Absolutely. One of the influences on Numenera in a major way is Gene Wolfe from his Book of the New Sun series. 
the use of archaic language to represent these slightly different weirder bits of tech and different societal names and things is really, really prevalent there. So if you ever want to see good examples of an insanely vocab heavy uh, <laughs> setting, uh, Gene Wolfe sure. is definitely where they're drawing from. And it's uh, kind of challenging to get through unless you're on a Kindle and can look up literally every word. But uh, <laughs> that's where that's coming from. So along those lines, just to give a little bit of background as far as where Numenera came from, this was the first Monty Cook Games Kickstarter in September of 2012. It was pitched at the time as a far future science fantasy post-apocalyptic game with streamlined rules that prioritize the story, the action, and the wild ideas. So this was kind of the first foray by Monty onto Kickstarter. It was a gigantic success. It started with just a funding goal of $20,000 to give us the core book. It ended up funding over $500,000 with over 4,500 people to launch the whole Numenera product line. The whole of Numenera is really summed up by the Arthur C. Clarke quote of any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That's really what lays the groundwork for the setting and why all of these things that really are technology from these older worlds are actually magic to the people of the ninth world. And there's a new product coming out as well. Yeah, so despite being kickstarted in 2012, the Numenera setting and the line of support is still going really strong. A lot of people are playing it. Their games get booked up at Gen Con real fast, so there's still a lot of demand. One product they're coming out with now is the uh, Numenera starter set. So it's coming out theoretically November 2016, not too far from now. It's going to be $25, and it's going to be basically like a beginner box for Numenera. So the $60 core book has everything you would ever need. You, you could live a lifetime running Numenera from that core book. But this beginner box is a little cheaper and is a good introduction to the setting to try it out. It has pre-generated characters, basic dice, poster map, introductory rules, two adventures, cards, and a cheat sheet. So I think that's going to be really successful and popular. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I think it's time for us to move to the cipher section. So Troy's going to start us out by throwing a cipher at our artifact of Numenera 101. He's going to talk about some of the highlights of why he keeps coming back to this setting of Numenera. Thanks, Darcy. So there's a lot of reasons that I come back to Numenera. The first one that I really like is the exploration of past and unknown artifacts and locations. I like this kind of theme both as a GM and as a player. I like to explore different areas and different things. I like to take a variety of different dungeons and stuff from other adventures from D&D or wherever I may find them and plug those into Numenera and then just make them a little weird. You know, add in some <laughs> something that makes them different. So, for instance, you have just your general dungeon. And what I'll do is I will make it so that the walls are all clear synth and there's fish swimming around in the walls mm -hmm. for no particular reason. That's just what it is. So I really like figuring out what these machines or temples or structures do and then figuring out if they're still doing what they should be doing or if they're doing something completely different. Cool. I really like that exploration and letting my players do that exploration when I'm GMing. You know, along the lines of GMing, I love the weird world of Numenera and how it makes it easy 
for me to just throw out fantastical locations without the need to justify them. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I can just say there are flying castles and nobody's... But why, Troy? <laughs> because Numenera. <laughs> because, because somebody built flying castles. Or I had an airship that was powered by gemstones. Well, how do gemstones run an airship? I don't know. It just happens. So there's all kinds of different weird things that you can just say, I think that this is cool and would be fun to have in my game world. And you can put it out there and then it has, you know, a place in the world of Numenera because literally there have been all of these civilizations that have come before and they could have left anything behind and somebody may have figured out how to use it. One of my favorite things to do with respect to this is to watch the players and see how they try to reason out what this was. And usually I just make a weird thing. And they're like, oh, man. And they put, you know, some evidence together and they have this whole case for like what it might really be. And sometimes I just roll with that, right? Because if what they're coming up with is better, sometimes it's fun to like let them keep on thinking that. And sometimes it's fun to flip it, but... Your players can influence what technically this place was supposed to be. Absolutely. And in some cases, like you said, you won't even have a reason for this place mm -hmm. doing whatever it did, but they'll come up with one. And then you can let them <laughs> feel like they solved that puzzle that you had for them. Exactly. Kind of along those same lines, I just love that because everything can be so weird, you can pull from so many sources and just deposit them into your Numenera game, you know, sometimes straight from those sources, sometimes with a little bit of a twist. Uh, two examples that I really like that I've done, uh, one of them is from the book series Wool, where there are basically yes. these silos in the ground where these people are living, and I basically put an abandoned silo in one of my games where the players went in and explored around, and people had lived here at one time, but they were all gone now, but they saw all the living quarters, and, and they had to explore it and figure out what it was and what it was doing, and so that was really interesting. And then I've borrowed a lot of cool things from Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive books. Oh, nice. He really created a weird world without making it feel weird in a lot of cases. The grass in the Stormlight Archive pulls itself down into the ground when somebody is walking towards it, and then it comes back up. Basically, it doesn't want to be stepped on. It's like sentient grass which is just perfect to put into a Numenera setting. So, so you can take anything from any source and maybe give it a little twist and put it into Numenera. Maybe somebody planted this special type of grass here 500,000 years ago, and it's survived. And here's this little patch of grass that just reacts in a different way than all of the rest of the grass that's in the ninth world. Awesome. To follow up a little bit on our discussion on terms up above, uh, a little helpful hint from me to you guys as a GM is try not to use the word analog. Like, hey, guys, this is a cow analog. I did that with my players in my first session of Numenera that I ever ran, and then my players never let it go. <laughs> Everything was, oh, that's a such and such analog. <laughs> they were really just doing it to give me a hard time. But it's just one of those things, as much as you can avoid using the real world terms and for sure, you know, just saying, hey, this is the ninth world version of this thing. Describe it, let them draw their own conclusions, but don't just directly say that term. Yeah, I think that's something you get better at with time for this game, for me anyway. For sure, for sure. Then the last thing I just wanted to touch on a little bit is, you know, we've talked about how it's a billion years in the future and there's been nine civilizations <laughs> and humans have come and gone and they're back again. The one creature that has survived a billion years are octopi. 
I just think it's cool that Monty Cook Games put in something like Octopi and that they're more sentient than we today give them credit for and that they have kind of a derogatory view of humanity. Basically, when they saw that humans were back, they were like, oh, not you guys again, you know? (laughs) With an eye roll. (laughs) And so I just love the octopi and that they put that thing in that gives the consistency of, hey, yeah, this is Earth and there is still something around that we recognize from today, but it's just this small little thing and we don't really know why they are the one thing that made it a billion years. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course in your game, it's that octopus are the only ones that are known to still be around, right? Um, It's hard for a modern-day human to, or a Numenera-day human to know what was originally present during their initial, you know, evolution. But yeah, I think Numenera is good about leaving room for whatever modifications you want to make. I really love that. I love the octopi. They're so cool. I like a lot of what you said so far. One thing I wanted to say is that you talk about how Numenera is a weird setting. And sometimes that makes people nervous, I think, that I hear who are interested in Numenera but are unsure. But I find it really freeing. And one reason I find it very freeing is that it's weird enough that it can can incorporate all of my off-the-cuff ideas. I'm rarely worried that I'm going to come up with an idea that's really going to cause problems for me later. It happens once in a while, (laughs) but rarely. Also, it lets me get input from my players. And almost always, I can work that stuff in because it's such a weird setting that whatever crazy thing they come up with, it can be legitimized because Mm -hmm. Numenera is such an open, encompassing uh, setting. I like to say Numenera is as weird as you want it to be. Oh, good point. If you want to play in just a fantasy type world and you want the things that the players define to be more magic than technology and put that sort of spin on it, you can absolutely play Numenera and have it be capital fantasy. I've played in that game. It works out. Yeah, the game works just fine. It's still a cool world. There's still tons of interesting things because the same thing can happen in a a fully fantasy world, right? Why does the castle fly? Magic, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, if people get uncomfortable with that, yeah, I like to like stress can kind of be as weird as you want your game to be. Excellent point. So Darcy, are you ready to cipher our artifact and tell us why you like Numenera so much? I mean, I have a tattoo of Numenera. Like, I don't know if I could do this in a short time period, but I'm going to try to hit some of the highlights. So I'm a biologist. I professionally mutate mollusks, as you all know from my character sentence. Poor snails. (laughs) Poor snails. I have not harmed any octopus uh, sentient creatures in the making of this podcast. So what I really find... I'm going to restart because I have a question for you, Troy, before you're off the hook. Oh, oh. I yeah. almost made you forget about that great question you wanted to write down, know, didn't you? I know. You're so sneaky. <laughs> so you told me about why you why you continue to stay in Numenera land and enjoy it. But what first got you hooked on Numenera, the setting? It's interesting. Uh, so I bought into the Kickstarter because it was Monty Cook. And why mm-hmm. why wouldn't you, right? You know, And it, it looked interesting. And it was kind of at the time where Kickstarters were really on the rise and we hadn't seen a lot of Kickstarters fail yet. So we all believed like, oh, Kickstarter is awesome. It can never go wrong. We were such sweet summer children. uh, You know, and now we've become old and embittered. And so at the time it was like, oh yeah, you know, Monty Cook, I love D&D 3.5. And so I'm like, I'm going to take a chance on this and try it out. And then when I, I got the Numenera book, it was, it was just such an amazing, beautiful book to look at. And is actually one of the only role-playing books that 
at least in my adult life, I have read cover to cover. Mm. You know, most of the time it's like, oh, I'll grab the sections I need or do whatever. But something just grabbed me about Numenera. Uh, I think as I read through, I loved the the rule set and how straightforward it was. And then just every page I turned was some new and interesting thing in the world. I guess I just couldn't wait to play in that playground. I, I just wanted to like say, I can do that as an adventure. Oh, that's a great adventure idea. Oh, that's something cool. And just as I read through, like all of that just made me say, this is a game that I definitely want to run. Awesome. Yeah, I had known Monty Cook through Planescape, the old second edition setting, and there was a video game of it, Planescape Torment. And so I had backed the Planescape Torment Kickstarter, which theoretically should be coming out next year, hopefully. hopefully. Basically, there was a single line that was like, also, we're using the setting from Monty Cook's Numenera RPG. And I'm like, there's an RPG? <laughs> and I like just missed the Kickstarter by a couple yeah. months. The weird setting of Planescape and Planescape Torment is what got me onto this, and it totally delivered um, in terms of setting. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, I mutate mollusks professionally, as you all know from my character sentence. What I really found exciting once I started reading this book is just getting a chance to play with the constraints that currently exist with life, right? You know, we have a lot of vertebrates that have two arms and two legs, this four-limbed setup, right? Most vertebrates have two eyes, and that's all fine and dandy and makes life a very certain flavor on Earth today. But there's no reason necessarily that that had to be the norm for a lot of lineages. And in fact, one reason that I'm studying biology at all is because I got really hooked by the Cambrian explosion during early life history. There's sort of this pre-Cambrian time period, uh, it's geological time, so it's a long, long time ago. And there was a lot of like weird experimental body plans of animals. So you get things like opabinia that has like five eye stalks. You know, there are very, very few things on today's earth that have five sets of eyes, right? That's, that's a weird setup. And there's things like hallucinogenia. I should put some pictures in the show notes because these things are nuts. We could not figure out which way was up or down for so long. And still we're only inferring like what the heck this animal could have been. And then you get this Cambrian explosion where you start to see all of a sudden in the fossil record arthropods, things that are clearly crustacean-like, and you see mollusks, like things that are clearly mollusky, cnidarians and stuff like that. So you suddenly get all our major branches of tree life. And so that was super interesting, but I always wonder what that explosion could have been like if you had started with a different subset of these weird experiments. Like what if it was like opabinia with the five eye stalks, if that radiated into all of life today, how different would it look? And so Numenera really gives me a chance to play with experimental life strategies in a lot of ways. It really is really helpful as a scientist to think about not get lazy and assume that the way things are are the way things have to, have to be. And things get turned up to 11 with Numenera because you could have directed evolution, you could have direct manipulation of genes by these great civilizations, you could have combinations of organic and inorganic life forms. How does that change things? The settings, the environments that these things are adapting to are so crazy and so different from what Earth has experienced in our life that it's like such imagination fuel for me. And I think it's actually been really helpful as a scientist to have this time to explore. And I, I usually play with a lot of grad students and scientists, and I love the kind of questions they ask and the kind of things they do and what they find interesting. It's a great place to be curious. Um, I don't know that that's what I expected to love when I got there, but it's definitely one of the biggest draws for me now is just this really experimental, freeing, creative landscape. In a smaller way, I also like to play with my players' expectations 
with respect to like societal norms and things. So one of my favorite Numenera adventures to run is Old Lady Nin and the Swamp. So it's totally pulled from an instant adventure that's lost in the swamp, I think. All I did was I gender bent one of the characters and I made them real old. So they're supposed to be like a kind of old dude who you're helping out. And I was like, let's make her like a really old lady. But also she's super strong and capable and interesting. And oh, let's give her like some arm candy. This really young husband who's really pretty. <laughs> I did the same things. The ability to to bend and make your players believe different things, you know, whether they're they're society wise or even when they make an assumption about somebody's motive to be able yes. to say they don't understand these people and what their motives might be uh, yeah. really allows you to play a lot with that. Oh, absolutely. Depending on each group and depending on specific words I use, they will respond to her differently. Um, oh, I also made her a cyborg. And so everyone's <laughs> like, oh, old lady with suspiciously young, pretty eye candy alone in the woods. And she's like really powerful. It's conjuring up the witch. Oh, yeah. She's totally a witch. She's totally a witch. But like... There's nothing weird going on. She just wants to find her daughter. But everyone assumes like there must be darker things here because we're used to using those yeah. old tropes that are very earth specific, right? They're very our mythology specific. And so it's really fun to play into that or lean away from it. Um, I think it's a really effective, fun storytelling tool. People get very, very surprised. And it's nice to be able to really surprise players. I could do it pretty easily in this game. Absolutely. <laughs> I guess another thing is uh, Numenera can support very different stories tonally. You know, it was described originally as like post-apocalyptic, far future, science fantasy, and that gives you some clues as to what you'll be playing. But I've run it where it's really wacky off the walls, goofy, fun, adventure time, you know, <laughs> strange things happening, but like it's all okay and everybody's friends and it's a good time. I've run really dark horror, grotesque yeah. stuff. Yeah, really like upsetting things. You can make it very, very dark. <laughs> Um, I'm not very good at horror, but I try because I smile too much, but I like it. Um, you can have it really suspenseful. You can really play up like investigation games. There's a lot of different ways that Luminera lends itself to. And I think when you read through the book, a lot of their little rumor boxes as you go through the different regions, they'll kind of give you adventure seeds. And you can look at those and it helped me get an idea for the huge swath of types of stories that can be told here. I think that's what keeps it really fresh for me is that if I'm playing wacky for too long, I'll switch it up and it'll be like kind of a horror adventure or something. If, of course, as Troy had mentioned, like epic classic fantasy is totally, totally doable with this. Yep. So you can really shift that a lot. And I think my final thing for today, because I could wax poetic forever on this. Oh, Numenera, how I love you. Oh, Numenera, let me write sonnets <laughs> to you. It's so good. So what Troy was saying is that he was flipping through the core book and he like would point to things. And he'd be like, oh, I could adventure that. I could adventure that and that. So I think the visuals of this are really cool. And not just like in the book, the art is amazing, but the kinds of landscapes you bring up in your storytelling, I just want to sink into some of the imaginary landscapes and visuals that we come up with. There's a lot of good mental eye candy. <laughs> so I, I really like that. And that's part of why I have a tattoo of it, which is my first tattoo. Um, and I wanted to share this all with you because there's some little like symbols scattered throughout the book. And try as I might, I've not been able to get Monty or anyone to confirm all their meanings to me. I've not been able to harass them enough, but I'll work on it. But uh, one thing I did get is on the spine of the book, there's a Celtic knot looking thing. It's kind of like a diamond, but it's all loopy and pretty. It's kind of prominent in the Numenera book. So I made that my tattoo, the little diamond. It's the shape of the continent. Yeah. And it's the shape of the continent. Exactly. Which we didn't realize until the Numenera guidebook, yep. right? And so it's this repeated pattern. And I was at a bar at Gen Con and Monty <laughs> saw my tattoo and he's like, hey, did you know that means truth? No. Did anyone else know that? 
I didn't know. I didn't even know that. I was like, well, thanks, Monty. That would have been good to know before I tattooed it on my body. (laughs) (laughs) I was super happy with it, but I was just kind of floored that there was a secret meaning that he's been keeping all to himself all this time. Uh, Maybe other people knew, but I certainly didn't. Uh, So I thought that was funny. And there's so much to sink into here visually and iconographically that I don't think it will ever get fully solved by me or anyone else. So that's really cool. That's awesome. You know, the biggest thing that I take away from your description of Numenera, Darcy, is that Mm -hmm. uh, your games definitely have a much higher intellectual level than a lot of my games do. (laughs) All this science and, you know, thinking about all this stuff, man, you uh, add a layer on top of the weird that is Numenera. I got to get you in one of these games because you'll see just how wrong you are. Just how wrong. Uh, We're scientists, but we're like, oh, a beetle with like a weird carapace that like comes out of it also i get to use words like carapace a lot and i really like that but they'll be like "Ooh, i poke it with a stick or like i sniff it we're not doing advanced empiricism here they're just like excited and want to like touch the stuff that's (laughs) awesome i I would love to for you to see how dumb we get (laughs) yeah i think this wraps up as much as i can like be allowed to talk about numenera in one episode i think we should call it here So thank you all for listening. I hope you get to check out the setting. Do try it out. I think we should move on to our potities section. So uh, Troy, you had a potity for us. Why don't you let us know what it is? So my potity is this is the first time that we are recording since we came back from Gen Con. And at uh, Gen Con, I played in my first ever LARP, and uh, it was fantastic. But the reason that I even did this was because of a podcast called Backstory Podcast uh, with host Alex Roberts. She interviews a bunch of different people. Some of them are LARP specific, some aren't. She definitely has a passion for LARP and I think opened my eyes into some of the different ways that you can LARP. It's not all of the preconceived notion of LARP that I had. Absolutely. So I I love listening to her podcast and learn so much about LARP and just gaming in general and and just a lot of interesting stories that people tell. So if you have some time, definitely go check out Backstory. And Darcy, what is your potty this week? Ah. First, I have to say, Alex Roberts, you are amazing. And Backstory Podcast uh, has really opened my eyes to a lot of different types of gaming and definitely LARP, too. So I'm very jealous. I need to get in on a LARP myself. Hello, all. Uh, Past Darcy had used her potity privileges to gush about Invisible Sun, but we have a whole interview episode about that now. So just go listen to Monty Cook. And in its place, I want to tell you a little bit about Acaticon. It is a yearly convention, uh, mostly focused on tabletop gaming with some board gaming as well. It's run by the RPG Academy crew, who are fabulous people. This year, it will be held in Dayton, Ohio at the Dayton Convention Center, November 11th through 13th. There's going to be lots of great guests, events. I'm going to be running games, and there will be a small army of Cypher System nerds there, so please come join us. There are still tickets available on Eventbrite, and uh, the link will be in the show notes. All right, so uh, to wrap up here, well, uh, where can uh, where can people find you, Darcy, if they want to interact with you and say hi? People can find me on Twitter uh, at Darcy L. Ross, D-A-R-C-Y-L-R-O-S-S. Thanks to all of you who have already reached out and told me you're listening to the podcast. It's so awesome. Makes us so happy. Yeah, that's where you can find me. Where can we find you, Troy? Uh, I can be found also primarily on Twitter at TroyP23 and, you know, G Plus and other places as well. But yeah, if you want to reach out, Twitter is a great place to do so. Speaking of Twitter... 
We would like to start having uh, a little hashtag out there that if you follow me, you might have seen uh, a little bit of, and that is the hashtag cipher someone. Uh, yes. Tweet at Darcy and I with the cipher someone hashtag, and uh, then we are going to do our best to give you a cipher sentence of your very own. So this is us brainstorming, uh, like we have our cipher sentences to begin the show. We'll give you one on Twitter, and uh, some people have already done so. Definitely reach out, and uh, and we'll do our best to create a sentence just for you. Yeah, I will spend a whole day agonizing over it, <laughs> as we did with Maddie's Troy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I was like, it's not enough to describe their whole personality, but we'll do our best. We do our best. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And a bunch of you have already reached out with feedback and excitement, and that makes me so happy. But please keep it coming. Let us know how things are going and what you want to see, what you liked, what you didn't like. Feel free to suggest artifacts, ciphers, and podities for us to feature. You can reach us, obviously, via Twitter or reach the podcast uh, at cypherspeakpod at gmail.com. Our website is also cypherspeak.com, which is now redirecting to uh, Misdirected Mark podcast because we are part of their network. So yay. We would love if you would uh, subscribe to us through either the Misdirected Mark network feed or our own feed and rate us on iTunes when iTunes gets its act together and realizes that we're the coolest new podcast in town and should actually list us. I, I really, so hopefully I, that will I, be I really done hope by, now. by the time this is out that that's happened. It's got to be done. <laughs> Yeah, so if you wouldn't mind, if you rate us on iTunes, we would love that. So, Darcy, what is the weirdest thing you've ever done to your players in a Numenera game? Ooh. Ooh, I gotta calm down. I got all excited. Um, Not gonna do that. That's too weird. Luckily, we're recording and it's not live. Thank God. Cypherspeak is a member of the Misdirected Mark Podcast Network, the media arm of Encoded Designs. 